Well, good morning. Welcome to a new year. And a new year at the Oasis Church in Gilbert, Arizona. We're excited. Let me share just a couple of things with you, some dates to remember. And of course, every Sunday and Wednesday is, is important, as well as all the other things going on around our church. Uh, next Sunday, we'll be observing communion. So we want to throw that out there for, for those of you that are, are looking forward to our next communion. It will be next Sunday. The second Sunday of February, which this year is February the 9th, will mark our one-year anniversary in our new building. Yeah. We, we moved in on the second Sunday of February last year. And then the first Sunday of April, which will be this year, the Sunday before Easter this year, is our 10th anniversary as a church. And all I'm going to tell you is we're going to celebrate. So uh, we hope that you'll uh, be with us that weekend. Uh, we're going to have some special things planned for that weekend as well. And then, of course, to follow it up with Easter the very next Sunday. A lot of cool stuff happening. Uh, Mike, one of our elders, is going to be sharing with you more about our trip to Israel in 2021 next week, and we're going to be able to start unrolling un, um, more of the details of that. So a lot of great stuff happening. We hope you'll be a part of it. At the beginning of December, we started a Christmas series in the Gospel of Luke, and God impressed me that we're just going to continue going on in the, the Gospel of Luke for the next few months, looking at it chapter by chapter. And the way we're approaching this is looking at it from the standpoint of serving the Lord. Uh, last year, uh, God really wanted us to focus as a church on learning about worship and how to be a worshiper and how to worship the Lord and how he wants us to worship him. And what better foundation could we have than to, to learn about serving him than worship? Because our service for God should be born out of our worship of God. And so this year, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about serving and I personally think, and God has impressed upon me, that I think this is going to be a monumental year in our church's history. I think that we're going to see just unprecedented spiritual growth and physical growth come to our church this coming year. And God has a, a lot of exciting plans, I think, for us. But those plans obviously involve all of us playing some kind of part. Because God created us not only to have a relationship with us, not only to bring us into a right relationship with him, not only to become a worshiper of him, but to serve him in some way. That's why he gave us the temperament and the gifts and the abilities and the talents and all of that that he gave us is so that we could live our lives giving glory to God and bringing glory to God as well as edifying the church, edifying our fellow believers in Christ and then reaching out into the world and making an impact and influence there. Which by the way, I know many of you don't know this, but this little church in Gilbert really is having a, a worldwide impact. There are people that listen to this podcast from all over the world that we get emails from every week. Even places like Afghanistan and Iran and places like that where they're hearing these messages on a weekly basis. But let me share with you something else. 
you all know that many of you that have been part of our church for many years now know that we, you know, uh, have a, a, a connection and support Pastor Olachea's ministry down in Mexicali, Mexico, and that we also, in, in some small way, support the ministry of Pastor Juan Carlos and his ministry down in Tucson, Arizona. But many of you don't know that we also, behind the scenes, and especially as your leaders, are helping the Chinese Church of Gilbert. Uh, Pastor Yang is a good uh, friend of, of our ministry, and uh, they just got word last week from the mother church, if you will, in Phoenix, that uh, they are becoming independent now, and that they're going to start looking for property around this area, and that they're hoping to be able to build their own building, and we are helping them to do that. Uh, so we just think that that's really uh, something that, that God wants us to be a part of because we now have a little bit of experience of how to build a church and what we should be looking for. And we're trying to pass all of the knowledge that we've gained and the things that we've learned over to them so that they can establish uh, a really nice ministry here in the East Valley as well. So it's just so cool what God is doing. And God wants to use all of us, again, to bring glory and honor to him and to impact the kingdom. So today, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 3 as we continue to study the gospel of Luke. And today we're going to look at the ministry of John the Baptist. And we're going to see how does the ministry of John the Baptist apply to us? How, how can we take what John the Baptist did and what God did with John the Baptist and how we, can we apply that to our own walk with God here and now, especially when we talk about serving the Lord? And I want to concentrate on three things that I see from the ministry of John the Baptist. I want to talk for a few moments about the context of John's ministry, then the content of John's ministry, and then the crux of John's ministry. But let's start this morning by looking at the context of John's ministry. You'll notice in the first two verses that Luke once again wants to establish and root the ministry of Jesus and everything that surrounded the coming of Jesus to earth in a historical context. It, it's like, this isn't fairy tales. This isn't myth. This isn't something that cannot be verified historically. Jesus Christ came right smack dab in the middle of the thriving Roman Empire, and I'm going to share with you, Luke is saying to those that he wrote to, exactly who was in power and all of that, so that if you want to go and check it out yourself, you can check it out. So notice, he says, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iteria, and Trachonitis and Lysanias was tetrarch of Abilene. Tetrarch, by the way, just means a governor of a fourth part of something. So you notice all the ones that were divided up into the four parts. And then he says, also, during the priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Now, what does these names, what do these leaders, what do these people have to say to us about the context of John's ministry and when God, in a sense, called John forth? It says this to us. These leaders, when you think about who they were, especially Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, Annas and Caiaphas and Herod, these 
make up what I would call the rogues gallery of the biggest villains of their age. These were men who were not only responsible eventually for the death of John the Baptist and him being beheaded, but these men were directly responsible for the crucifixion and murder of Jesus Christ as well. And yet, for us, it means that no matter how dark our times, how dark our circumstances, or how dark our context, God can overrule it all. God doesn't need ideal circumstances in order to move and work and do a great work and have a great moving, spiritually speaking. In fact, God actually is expert in, in, in coming into situations that are very dire and desperate and being able to turn them around because that's exactly what God can do. And God wants to encourage us when it comes to our own life in our own church, in our own service for him. He doesn't need to wait until everything in our life, you know, all the stars are lined up. It, it's like, you, you know, for, for some people, it's like they, they wait and they're always waiting for that time in their life when everything just sort of is perfect in order to step out and serve the Lord. And God is saying through people like John the Baptist, God was using him at a very, very dark time in the world, a very dark time in the nation of Israel. Things were not politically what they should be. They were certainly not religiously what they should be. It was a bad time, and yet God wanted to raise up those whose hearts were tender towards him because he could use their great light in the darkness in which they found themselves. God wants to do the same thing today in the world in which we live, in the country in which we live, in the society in which we live, even in our own community, maybe even in our own family. You may be the only spiritual light, but God is saying, I can do something with you if you will allow me to. And I, I don't need everything just perfect in order to work. In fact, we all know many times, even by the testimony of our own lives, that we truly came into contact with God at a time where we were maybe at our lowest. God does his best work then, you know. Because again, God can create Great things out of nothing. Look at the universe that he created. And so I hope even here today that for some of you, don't ever get to the place where you lose hope or give up hope in, in what God can even do through you or how he can use you based upon your past and, and maybe your failings and your failures and all of these things, maybe even that you find yourself in today. God is the God of the great turnaround. God is the God who can restore. God is the God who can refresh. God is the God who can redeem, and he can take and bring something out of nothing, Amen. you see. And that's part of the context of John the Baptist's ministry. May we be careful never to judge God's ability and power by our circumstances. Because many times our circumstances, it seems like 
first of all, maybe, well, where is God? And based upon our circumstances or what we see going on around us, we can even come to the incorrect conclusion that God is impotent, that he can't do anything or doesn't want to do anything. And we should never judge what's going on in the world and, and judge God based on that. When, when God wants to act, he will act. And when God acts, look out. Because God can turn the world upside down. It's all a matter of God's timing and God's purposes. And that's why God calls his people not to walk by sight, but to walk by faith and to trust him always, no matter what. So again, we could just read this list of leaders and, and just keep on reading, but we must stop at this time and realize that again, the context of John's ministry was set at a very dark time. And for us, that means no matter how the, what the times are, no matter what our circumstances are, no matter what our contexts are, God can overrule it all. The second thing as far as the context of John's ministry is this, beginning back in verse 2 as we continue to read, that during the high priest hood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Literally, the voice of God was heard by John, captivating his attention. That's where service and ministry starts. When you and I are in a place where we are hearing the voice of God in our own hearts and in our own heads, because so much ministry throughout history and even today is man or men and women simply parroting what other men and women say or what they want to say, and yet we're not really hearing the voice of God. And we as the people of God and the people of this world, we need to hear God not men. And in order for us to hear God, we've got to first have those who are hearing God themselves, including us, that God's voice is something we can hear. Jesus said, my sheep will hear my voice. Are we as God's sheep hearing the voice of God like John did? And is it truly captivating our attention? And is it able to get through and cut through all the other voices in our lives so that we can clearly hear the voice and word of God coming to us? I think that's why it's significant that the Bible says in verse 2 that John found himself in the wilderness. Why? Because the wilderness describes a place without distraction, providing needed quiet. It was a desolate place. No one else was around. And so John didn't just minister in the wilderness, calling people out to the wilderness to meet him, but it started with just he and God in the wilderness, in a place where he would not be distracted, where he could quiet his heart and mind long enough to be able to hear God. And I will say to all of us today, that's what we need today. Amen. That's why Sundays and Wednesdays 
And other times where we are able to come together as God's people are so important because in a sense, they provide a wilderness opportunity for us. We get off of the, the wheel, if you will, of the week that we've been running and we finally are able to sit in quiet without distraction and hear the voice of God coming into our lives. Amen. But the same thing should be true with us individually that we must find our own personal wilderness, if you will, a place where you and I cannot be distracted, where we can quiet our hearts and minds long enough to be able to hear the voice of God. And here's why. Because not only is it important that we hear the voice of God in our own lives, but God wants us to hear his voice so that we can share what God is giving to us to others. In other words, God's voice gives us a voice, which is exactly what happened with John. Notice, after John heard God's voice, what did he immediately do? Verse 3, he went into all the region of the Jordan River, preaching. And notice what it says in verse 4. The voice of one shouting in the wilderness. That's John's voice. How did John get a voice? By hearing the voice of God first. See, God wants to give all of us a voice. He wants to give us his word and his messages and his truth and all of that so that we can share and encourage and admonish and counsel and instruct and teach and all of this and comfort others. But I cannot do that effectively if I'm first, not like John, hearing the voice of God myself. But when I put myself in a place every day and then weekly as God's people, as we come together to hear the voice of God through worship and through his word, then God gives me a voice so that then I can go out and begin to share with others the things that God has shared with me. And he wants us all to have a voice because the people that are in your circle of influence or that you work with or are neighbors to or in your family with or friends with or isn't the same for any of us. And God wants to spread his voice out so that multiple peoples can hear him speaking because we need to have people today who will stand up before other human beings and be able to say, Thus saith the Lord. Amen. Confidently because we've already heard the voice of God. And we have enough human beings spouting off their own opinions and judgments and what they think about things, but... It's time that the world hears from God. And the only way now before the Lord comes back that the world is going to hear from God is when God's people put themselves in a position to be able, like John, to hear the voice of God in their own life and then be able to share what they hear from God with those around them. This is the context of John's ministry. But then I want you to see the content of John's ministry. He went into all the regions around the Jordan River, verse 3, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. 
If John had one central theme to his ministry while he was serving the Lord, it could be summarized in the word repentance. What does it mean? We use that word. We hear that word. That word is in the Bible. What does it mean to repent? I will give you a simple definition. It is a change of mind that affects a change of behavior. It starts here, but it has to be fleshed out or else it's not true repentance. In other words, in short, it's a willingness to change. It's a willingness not to keep going my own way and to say, God, I'm going to start going your way. And that's why repentance is absolutely necessary in order for all of us or any of us to be saved. Because there has to be that time in my life where I go, you know what, I recognize I am a sinner. And I cannot save myself. And Jesus Christ came to offer me the free gift of salvation. So instead of me continuing to sort of drive along and go my own way or try to save myself, no, I'm going to change my viewpoint, I'm going to change my way of thinking, and I'm not now going to acknowledge, God, that the way you look at this is the right way, and now I'm going to be open to accepting your son Jesus as my Savior, and therefore I'm going to call upon him as my Savior by faith, knowing that he will save me. It's a change of mind that results in a change of actions or a change of lifestyle or a change of direction in one's life. But folks, repentance isn't just connected to our salvation. You see, repentance is really something in our life that clears our way to be able to walk with God throughout our whole life. Why do I say that? Well, because God says throughout our lives, any of you that's walked with God like I have know that we could be starting off on this direction going here. And then God's going to go, hey, Jeff, I don't want you to continue to go that way. I want you to turn. I want you to go this way. If you and I aren't willing to repent and change our direction and go, okay, God, I'm, I'm going to quit going down that road, even though that's the road I've been on for the last five years, I'm going to turn with you then we can never continue to walk with God and therefore we can never continue to really serve God effectively because we're going to see later on how important it is that we learn to follow God before we can really serve him. Amen. In fact, it's absolutely essential. So God, throughout our life, is going to say, turn here, go here, or he's going to say, Jeff, now jettison that out of your life or get rid of that, or Jeff, add that to your life. And, and if, if I'm the kind of person that's like, nope, this is the way I've always done it. This is the way I'm going to continue to do it till I die. I'm going to do it this way with these things, and I'm not going to change for anything or anybody. Then God really isn't going to be able to use you in that condition. Because God wants to see us humble, teachable, pliable, compliant, 
And that all comes back to really being a person who's willing to repent and just say, I'm willing to change, God, whatever you need to change in my life in order for me to be a more effective servant of yours and bring glory to you. And if that means, God, i got to change my direction from the path that I'm leading, and that's the path you want me to take, even though I've been on this one for a while, I'll go your way, God. That's repentance. That's repentance. And that was the whole content of John's ministry, getting people to a place where they would stop so stubbornly holding on to their own way of doing things. And that's why God hates tradition. Because we can all get so locked in to our traditions and even to our comfort zones, which is why I love that Nicole picked out that song, Oceans, before we went into the message this morning, especially in dealing with serving, because God is going to call all of us to come out of our comfort zone in order to serve him, and in order even to show us how much more is within us than we even think is within ourselves and how much untapped potential is there. But many Christians are never willing to sort of repent and change their mind. They stay in the comfort zone of the boat all their life, and God is saying, come out. Amen. Repent. Be willing to change your mind and let me take you where I want to take you rather than just leaving your life just right here. So much more I want to do with your life. And so that was the cent centerpiece of John's ministry, you see. And John says to them in verse 8, guys, true repentance isn't something you talk about. It's not just words. He says, therefore, produce fruit that proves your repentance. Real biblical repentance will be seen in our lives because anybody can talk the talk. Anybody can say, oh, I'm this and I'm that and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Basically, John is saying then, as we would say today, put your money where your mouth is or the proof is in the pudding. Let me see something change in your life. So, notice three different sort of groups that John was dealing with here initially in this first part of his ministry. In verse 10, the general crowds then began to ask him, well, what should we do? And John basically, I'm summarizing here, says to them, be generous. John says the person who has two tunics must share with the person who has none, and the person who has food must do likewise. Be generous. Be more generous than you've ever been before. Then the tax collectors come to John, verse 12. Well, what should we do, John, then, to prove our repentance? And he basically says to them, be honest. <laughs> Collect no more than you are required to. Be an honest tax collector. Because most of them were, you know, taken for the Roman Empire and then were sliding a little bit extra for themselves. Change. Then the soldiers, who even in John's day would use their position and obviously their weapons that they had on them to intimidate other people, maybe even in paying for some extra sort of security or service or, you know, we'll watch your little business over there on Joppa Street in downtown Bethlehem if you slide us a, 
a 10 every once in a while type of thing. And John says to them, to the soldiers, be content. What should we do? And he says, take money from no one by violence or by false accusation and be content with your pay as a soldier. Be generous, be honest, be content. That was John's message. It was a message simply to say, prove that you have been willing to change by seeing a difference in the way you're living your life. And it's also very interesting here that all three of those deal with the way we handle our material possessions, in a sense, don't they? Being generous means being open-handed with what we've been blessed with, being honest, and being content. That was John's message to his audience. All again around the concept of repentance and the change that God wants to bring about in our lives, not just to bring us into a right relationship with him, but throughout our lives so that we will, we will turn when God wants us to turn and we will lay aside the things that God wants us to lay aside and we will add the things that God wants us to add to our life. Our life is constantly in flux if we're a growing Christian. It's constantly being transformed. It's constantly being changed. And if you and I are not willing to repent, then we will never really follow God effectively and therefore we will never really serve God effectively. Amen. Which leads me to the final point this morning from Luke chapter 3, and that is the crux of John the Baptist's ministry, and all the word crux means is the most important part. And for John, the most important part was always Jesus. <laughs> I mean, how tempting would it have been? I mean, John was a rock star. Man, people were coming out, and, and, and notice even in verse 15, some were even saying, is he the Messiah? And you can imagine then that temptation of pride. I mean, even maybe not to say, yeah, I'm the Messiah, because he knew obviously that he wasn't, but even to say, well, I'm not the Messiah, but I am the forerunner, and... And, and you can lavish praise upon me too. And, you know, out of all the people in the world that God could have chosen to be the forerunner of the Messiah, God chose me. No, no, no. John rejects all that. Notice what John says in verse 16 when he begins to hear whispers that maybe he's the Messiah. He says, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I am is coming. One stronger, one mightier, one greater than me. I'm not even fit to untie the strap of his sandals, which, by the way, in John's day was the lowest, most menial job a household servant could be called upon to do was to take off the sandals of the guests when they walked into the door. John says, I'm not even fit to take off this one's sandals. In fact, he says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clean out his fr uh, threshing floor. It's a separating instrument. He's going to gather wheat into the storehouse. Chaff he will burn up with an inextinguishable fire. John is basically saying, the crux of my ministry, the most important part is to exalt Jesus Christ. He is the sovereign God of the universe. And I will spend my life decreasing and spend the rest of my life as his servant increasing him. That was John's ministry. Amen. But as he zeroed in on Jesus, 
Here's the crazy thing, and this is the thing that even for us as Christians, it's like, wow, to be able to see both in one person is just, it's mind-boggling. Yes, Jesus Christ, take nothing away, occupies the highest place in the universe. He is God of very God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We could heap you know, whatever accolades and all of that upon him, nothing would be too high for Jesus. He is the sovereign. But because of what he did in Bethlehem, he's also the servant. He's also the servant in one person. The highest of the universe and yet he's willing to come down to earth in human form and to identify with sinners. And that's what then in verse 21 through the rest of the chapter, all this information is about. His baptism, which is handled very briefly by Luke, in fact, briefer than any of the other gospels, and then this genealogy. What's all of this about, and how does it apply to the crux of John's ministry? How does it apply to you and I? And What can we take from that for us today? Simply this, in his baptism... Jesus wasn't being baptized because he needed to repent of anything. He was being baptized to identify with the people that he came to save. Notice verse 21. When all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. Because that's what baptism is. It's a symbol of identification that's why you and I are baptized after we are saved because it's a way for us to say, I identify myself with Jesus. When Jesus was baptized, he was saying two things. First of all, he was legitimizing, authorizing, authenticating all of that. John's ministry, he was basically saying, what this guy's doing, it's good, it's right, keep doing it. But he was also saying, every one of you that are being baptized, I'm going down into the water and allowing John to baptize me because I'm going to bear the sins that you're carrying right now. Amen. I'm going to take your sins, all of them, on myself. How much more can one identify with somebody than to basically empathize, sympathize uh, enough, care enough, be concerned enough about the sin load and the guilt and all of that that we're bearing, that he basically comes down as a human being, enters the waters of baptism, and even then enters this whole list of, of genealogy. What's all that about? Well, again, Luke wants to put it in historical context. Here's the history. Here's the ancestral tree. If you doubt Jesus Christ really came, then here it is. Check it out for yourself. But he's also saying this, Jesus Christ came down and existed in the midst of this ancestral tree. And the rest of them are all sinners. But Jesus is the spotless lamb of God. Amen. And yet he was willing to immerse himself into a family line of nothing but sinners. Because it wouldn't have mattered what family God chose to come through, They'd have still been nothing but sinners. But here's Jesus, the one who knew no sin, who would become sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And John is saying, 
That's the crux of my ministry. Showing people that Jesus Christ is the sovereign, but he's also the servant of God. That he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That he came to identify with us. And folks, if you and I are going to be used by God to truly impact and influence the lives of other people, just like Jesus did and just like John did, we've got to be willing to identify with them instead of standing aloof and standing apart and separating ourselves from them, we've got to be willing to get into the muck and mire and the yuck because that's exactly what Jesus did. He has gotten into the yuck of our lives, into the yuckiest parts of our lives, and he hasn't separated himself out just because he was a holy son of God. He said, I love you enough that I'm willing to come and immerse myself in all of this yuck so that I can save you. And too often, as Christians, we go, God, I want you to use me. I want to be your servant, but please separate me from all those yucky people over there. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll serve you, but at a distance from them. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't have that same attitude with us? Jesus said, no, 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 I'm going down into the water for you. And we got to be willing to go down into the water with others and identify and empathize and sympathize. Turn with me, if you will, to the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse 26. I want you to mark this verse. If you're a marker, if you're a memorizer, I want you to memorize this verse if you've never memorized it. I want to encourage you to let the Holy Spirit of God stamp this verse upon your heart because this will be a verse that you will hear from me for about the next six months as we continue our series on serving the Lord because this verse is an unbelievable verse in teaching us about serving the Lord. And it goes along exactly with what we've been looking at in Luke chapter 3 about the context of John's ministry, the content of John's ministry, and the crux of John's ministry. And Jesus sort of summarizes it all here in John 12, 26 when he tells his followers these words, if anyone wants to serve me, he must follow me. And where I am, my servant will be too. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Let me go back to the first part of that verse. Jesus is saying, you want to serve me? You can't serve me without following me. You got to walk with me every day. You got to accompany me. Accompany me. You got to become my disciple. You see, this, this is why there's so much about what we call service today in our local churches that's wrong because today many of our churches are inviting people that don't even know the Lord to serve him in church. Many of our churches are inviting people who are saved but are not disciples to serve him. And Jesus says, no, you can't really serve me unless you're willing to follow me. Which goes back to the whole importance about why we need to always be repenting and willing to change and willing to turn. 
And, and notice what else Jesus says. Jesus says, where I am, that's where my servant will be. As I said last week, so often as Christians, we're doing our own thing over here, going our own way and say, hey, God, you're coming over here, right? You're, you're going to bless this endeavor, right? Because this is what I want to do. And Jesus is over here going, well, this is where I'm going, and I'd rather you come over and follow me. No, no, Jesus, you don't understand. I, I know what's best for my life, and, and I'm over here, and I'm going my way, and I'm doing my thing, and I'm doing it in your name, and I'm, I'm seeking to glorify you. And Jesus is over here going, well, if you really wanted to glorify me, then you'd just follow me. Instead of trying to get me to follow you. Because who's the Lord here? Is it me or is it Jesus? And that's why Jesus is saying, if you really want to serve me, stop going down your own road. Just follow me every day. And where I am, that's where you're going to find my servant not doing their own little thing over here, trying to get God to bless what they're doing, but just hopping on what God's already doing and what he's involved with and going that way. And here's the real thing that I want to bring out today. What Jesus is also teaching us in John 12, 26 is that service for him is not about what we do. It's about who we are. Amen. You see, we have reduced or diminished serving Jesus to acts of service. And the reason I know that is because you talk to Christians and how do they describe or characterize their service. I serve God because I show up at church, yada, yada, and I'm involved in this ministry or that ministry or whatever. And that's the way we've contexted serving God. Is I serve God because I'm, you know, I'm on the worship team or I'm, I'm, I'm on the tech team or I, I, I help Crystal in the nursery. or No! It's not about what we do. It's about who we are. We are just simply followers of Jesus Christ, which means my service is never reduced or diminished or characterized by simply the acts of service I do. It is literally part of me every day and every moment of the day. Just like Jesus, we wake up or should wake up every day wrapping that towel around our waist just like Jesus did when he washed the disciples' feet and we simply make ourselves available to our Lord and Savior every day and we simply say, Jesus, I'm your most available servant. Whatever you have for me today, I'm willing to serve you. That's being a servant of the Lord. Because sometimes the service will happen here. Sometimes it will happen out there. Sometimes it will happen with this person or that person. It's, not, it's being a servant is just who we are to be 24-7, seven days a week, every month of the year. That's just who we are. God wants us to understand we never stop being a servant. 
which means in our workplaces, in our homes, in our schools, in our churches, wherever we go, whoever we meet, we are simply to have that towel and always say, God, is this something you want me to do? Is this a person you want me to minister with? That's being a servant because that goes back to exactly what Jesus said. You want to serve me? Just follow me. I'll show you what you're supposed to be doing each moment of the day. I'll show you what ministry at the church you're supposed to be involved with. You just follow me. Let's make this easy. Let's not complicate things. So many Christians are like, I don't know where I'm supposed to be serving the Lord or what I'm supposed to be doing. Then my encouragement and exhortation to you is just start following the Lord and you'll find out real quick. And maybe God just wants you right now just to do a few little things here and there, and then God's going to continue as he knows you're just going to follow him to start opening up other things. Just follow. Because at the end of the day, the center of it all, the crux of it all, the most important thing of it all is Jesus. exalting the sovereign servant of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. That's what our lives should be reflecting to others, and that's who we should be. Just simple followers of Jesus who are always making ourselves available to serve him in whatever way, however, wherever he wants us to serve him. Would you bow your heads right now with me for just a moment? Before we wrap things up here this morning, let me just ask you this morning. Would there be those of you this morning who have heard God's voice to you today who would be willing to say, no one else looking around, Pastor Jeff, I'm the only one, would be willing to say, Pastor Jeff, I am more willing than ever to make myself available to serve the Lord in whatever way he wants me to serve him. If that's your heart's desire today, here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you because that's, that's a step. That's a commitment because that means following him every day. That's a commitment. And so if, if that's something God has been stirring in you throughout this hour that we've had together this morning through our worship, and would you just simply raise your hand and put it back down? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Clearly, people are hearing the voice of God, and that's amen to that. God, I pray today that as we wrap things up here this morning, that nothing ends here but simply begins here today. God, we're not ending a service. We're just beginning to serve you. And that we want to declare out loud that, God, you are the very center of everything that we want to do in our lives, everything we want to be in our lives. It's all about you, God. And we want to claim you today.
We want to follow you like never before. We want to serve you like never before. God, would you work and move? And no matter what the conditions, God, we have been reminded today that, God, there's no circumstance, no context, no time in our life that is beyond you having the ability to come in and do a great work. In fact, God, you are an expert at coming in at even the worst times and doing amazing things because there's nothing too hard or too difficult for you, Lord. You're it. And may we have the faith to believe that you are it today. These things we declare and we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand with me?